I recently spent eight weeks overseas to commentate the PTO US Open, Asian Open, and then go and do some live podcasts at the Men's Ironman World Championships. And during the trip, my sleep became awful. I literally stopped training because I was feeling terrible most days and I was just back to my old ways of struggling to fall asleep at night and then waking up during the night and not being able to fall back asleep. And because of that, when I'd get up in the mornings, I was just completely exhausted pretty much every day. And I literally know it was because I didn't take any pillar performance triple magnesium with me overseas because the day I got back home, I took it and I literally slept well. And then I've slept better and better every night since. I've started training every morning again. And I literally told someone today that I finally feel like my, myself again, like pre the overseas trip. And I know it sounds wild, but it really does make that big a difference to my sleep. And the biggest thing I notice is that because of that, I've been waking up fresh, motivated, and eager to train, something I literally lost for like six or seven weeks. And I also little things like I've been eating so much healthier because I found that when I sleep crap, I just end up eating crap. But when I sleep well, I tend to eat pretty healthy. And anyway, it just reinforced to me that if you're an athlete or someone who trains or literally just wants to feel your best every day, then go to Pillar Performance's website get yourself some triple magnesium, use the discount code HCT20 for 20% off it, start taking it 45 minutes before bed every night and just start to see for yourself what I'm talking about now and how much better you'll feel every morning waking up after you took triple magnesium the night before. I'm so excited today to be kicking off our week-long build into the Women's Ironman World Championships in Kona. And what a better way to start than by talking to the person everyone is talking about leading into the race, Taylor Nib. Taylor, this year you won the PTO US Open, you won the Ironman 70.3 World Championships, and you also came fifth at the Olympic Test Event in Paris. It's been another impressive year where you've shown the world you're by far the best middle distance triathlete in the world. So at what point did you decide you were going to step up to the full Ironman distance and make your Ironman debut by racing the Ironman World Championships in Kona this weekend? Well, thank you, Jack, for having me on the podcast. Uh, well, so last year at 70.3 Worlds, I think this is something that I don't know how many people know that, but so October 28th, I think last year, um, 70.3 Worlds, the winner of that race automatically qualifies for Kona. So like... The second I won that race, I think I was like, ooh, could I do Kona next year? And my team was like, oh, yeah, yeah, sure, whatever. And then <laughs> in December, it was like before surgery, and I brought it up, and I'm like, you know, like, if I qualify for Paris in Paris, like, can I do Kona? And they're like, well, we'll cross that bridge when it comes. Like, <laughs> again, like, they were telling me, we'll see. Um, and then I qualified <laughs> for Paris in Paris, and it's like, that's the Paris Olympics and the Paris test event. Um. And so it was like, well, yeah, you can do it. Like you've checked off the objective for the year. So that was, I guess that was how the decision was made. And so at any point throughout the year, did you like shift your training to be focused on the Ironman World Championships or have you sort of just trained for US Open, 70.3 Worlds, Paris Test Event, and you're just going to take what you were doing for those into Kona? Well, no. So, so like rewind, I got surgery on January 3rd. I didn't do anything for four weeks after that. And then I was not allowed to run, like I was cleared to start doing stuff. I think it was January 31st or February 1st. 
and four weeks after surgery. And then, but I wasn't running until March 28th. And so in that like eight weeks, I was riding and I was riding a lot because I was like, it was like maybe like one or two kind of build up weeks. And then I could like just ride a lot. And so I'd have like five quality rides. One was aerobic, two were kind of short course focus. And then two were, if cone is a possibility focus. Um, And so that's like, that was kind of nice to just have in that block um, because it was like, it, it helped. I think my body, like I, I did probably the biggest training block I've ever done in that stretch of time because I was just riding and swimming. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's from the riding side. You don't know about the swimming or the running though. So that's the back story. So are you confident going into the race that you will be able to perform over the distance? Oh no, not at all. I mean, I have no idea what's going to happen. So like it's it's very much I we were talking before the podcast like it's very much a we'll see like I'm very <laughs> nervous but I'm also curious so like I'm just excited and grateful for the opportunity and we'll see what happens. I'm really curious about how you're going to race. I think to me that's going to be the most interesting thing to watch for the entire women's Ironman World Championships. Do you plan to do what you always do and just swim at the front and go off the front on the bike and then yeah like you say a lot we'll see but do you just plan on like seeing what happens when you get to the front of the bike and how you feel or are you going to play it a bit more conservative because of the distance well I think I think that kind of question is twofold because it depends on like I'll have my race strategy and then I can't control what the other women are doing um and so I'll just be focused on like executing my race to the best of my ability and I think it's for me it's probably going to be less racing to start off with and more executing and so less reacting to what other people are doing and just like staying with what I'm hoping to do. And then wherever other people are, I'm going to have to kind of put my blinders on until I'm allowed to start racing. And do you guys have a point like you and your team, have you figured out a point when you are allowed to start racing? Not yet. Um, but it also might depend on the day. Like I'm just, I'm not sure yet. We haven't fully dialed that in yet, but racing is also relative because it's like, it's there's kind of there it's different in short course versus long course so it's just it's just all different this is all new and different to me so I'm just excited to be learning so does this include the swim or because you know that Lucy Charles Barclay is going to be at the front of the swim now whether she attacks and and gets off the front by herself like she has done in the past or whether she takes a little bit more conservative either way we know she's going to be at the front of the swim Will you let her go if she's swimming too fast or will you for the swim make your objective to stay on her feet? Oh, I'm not sure. But also I think we can't overlook the fact that Lauren Brandon's been swimming very well. And I think she's in very good shape right now. So I can see Lauren Brandon being there and she tends to be like a very, I think she like builds her swims. She tends to. So that could be an interesting dynamic between the two of them. And it's just like, I need to be smart. And if I'm like, two minutes down coming out of the water that's not the end of the day I don't think if I'm 10 minutes down that might that's still not the end of the day so no I'm not gonna try to chase someone who's trying to just like get the swim bonus so no and do you when you're thinking about the race are you purely focused on your own execution like your own swimming your own biking and your own running or are you also thinking about the other women in the race and thinking, well, if they do this, maybe I need to do that or, you know, that kind of thing when it comes to race dynamics? I don't think I can do that quite yet because there are just so many unknowns from my point of view. 
and like I'm like conscious and aware of both like the tremendous women on the start line and also the tremendous history of this race and event and so it's kind of like I'm aware of it but will I allow myself to be influenced by it I don't think so um but you never know that's it, it's all it's a lot easier to be saying that like in a chair <laughs> removed from the heat of the moment versus when you're out there and you've never raced an Ironman distance race before and you're stepping right into the Ironman World Championships in the strongest women's women's field that's ever been at an Ironman World Championships. Are there any women particularly that you're excited to race over that distance on Saturday? Well, I think all of them. Like, as you said, it's the strongest women's field. And I think it's like, it's an honor to share the course with them and just learn because, I mean, to be able to have a front row seat, hopefully, like hopefully I'll be close enough into the race to actually see it happening. Um but like how people do things. And it's also like the little things in terms of like, it's my first Ironman, like what is the, like I'm intrigued, like what's kind of the environment in the morning and who ends up racing well and who doesn't and what's the environment race week and just kind of like the moods and emotions and how people conduct themselves and handle themselves. Like it's just kind of, it's interesting because it's a different event and you just can like, I think you can learn a lot from your fellow competitors about, both what to do and maybe what not to do. We've seen this in the men's field for the last couple of years with Christian Blumenfeld and Gustav Eden and Sam Laidlow, the young crew who are stepping up to do Ironman distance racing and becoming the best in the sport. Now, you're really the first female to do that and follow suit. In, in the men's field, it's sort of become expected, but then because you're doing it, I think you're the first female to really do it. There's been a little bit of talk about like, is she ready? Like, is this a step too far? Should she wait another year or two? Have you seen that as well? And do you think it's a little bit weird that we've come to expect it of the men, but because you're the first female to do it, that people are sort of being like, oh no, I think she should wait a little bit longer. Well, so I'm not the first female. So let's like backtrack. And so Daniela Reef was born in 1987. Her first Kona was, was it 2014, I think? So she was 27 years old and she had just shifted from a short course background. I mean, she was in London in 2012. She won a WTS race in Seoul, I think, in 2010 or 2011. Um, I'm 25. She was 27 and she made the shift. She was, you know, she was second her first year and then she won the next year and a few years after that. But like in terms of I am not the first female to do this. And so and then you look at Anne Haug, like she she, I think her first Kona was 2018. She was still racing short course in 2016. And then she won in 2019. Like, so like, I, I don't know the, the, the shift has been made. Um, and Daniela was a similar age as I am. So it's just, I think it's part of the sport. Just there are other athletes who like to stay in short course longer, but some move over to long course. Daniela was similar, but not quite what we're talking about because you're still going to go to the Paris Olympics next year. Whereas Daniela, she did the London Olympics and then her and her coach made that decision. No, we're stepping up to long distance. We're going to focus on the Ironman World Championships. And she did that in 2013 and 2014 before she went to Hawaii. I do agree that it's similar um, in a way, but Daniela had also done an Ironman or two before she went to Kona. Like you're literally just stepping straight up from short course focusing on middle distance and like just throwing yourself in the deep end of Ironman before you go back to short course? Well, yes. <laughs> so <laughs> is that a question? Well, it's more just like, I don't think that Danielle's was the same. And I really do think that you're the first female to do 
do it the way that, say, uh, maybe a Christian Blumenfeld had done it in the men's field? Well, well, I guess the, the, I guess the only thing is that, like, trying, I guess, with the intention to go back to short course. But that's, I guess, the only difference with that is more when I hopefully go back to short course. Um, it's less what happens in this race. Um, but I think in terms of just gaining experience, like the next time the women will race in Kona is 2025. They won't race in 2024. And, um, and we don't know if the women will ever race in Kona after 2025. I think that's, that's a reality that I've seen, like, or like I'm aware of, um, we don't know where the sport's going to go. So it just kind of like, if I want to crack at it in 2025, what's better than to see, to experience it in 2023. So do you think there's a chance that next year you do the Olympics and the world championships? Like, let's say hypothetical. I know you hate hypotheticals. Hypothetically, you come second like Daniela did this weekend or you win this weekend. Um, and then you go to Paris and you have a good result or a bad result. Do you think that you'll be back there next year and, and you doing the Ironman world championships every year is just part of your racing calendar now? Oh, well, I have no idea. Like I have already qualified because of Lochte, um, because I won 70.3 Worlds again. Now, because of the PTO, I think I've heard rumors that Ironman may be enforcing the validation rule again, um, which we have like with COVID, I was very lucky that they removed that validation requirement. That's why I'm able to do Kona as my first and only Ironman um, so far. Like if it was in the past where you had to do an Ironman to validate your slot, I wouldn't be able to be here because I wouldn't have had time in my schedule to do an Ironman to validate to race. Um, so I'm like, I'm grateful and fortunate with that. But so I don't know next year in terms of, first of all, how this is going to be, if I'm going to ever want to do another one again. And then second, if it's going to be feasible with the race schedule. And fourth, if it's going to be feasible with Ironman requirements that change year after year. So I just don't, I don't know. Sorry. That hypothetical has too many people like controlling it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, completely understand. I guess I'm just so excited about the thought of you doing Ironman World Championships that like I want you to keep doing it, even though you haven't even done your first one yet. <laughs> um, <laughs> another question with your schedule, right? How real is the cycling dream for you still? Well, so the so the nice thing is that USA Cycling next year at their national championships, which they haven't, I don't think as of now, they haven't announced the date or the location, but the winner of time trial elite nationals automatically qualifies for Paris. So in terms of that, um, it's kind of like, I know I need to be better. I know I wasn't my best in Knoxville. And so there's still, but there's like still a possibility and not a discretionary pick. Like whoever wins that race automatically qualifies for Paris. So I think that's like for 2024, that's one thing. And then also beyond, um, I just don't know. Would an idea world be for you that you're at the Olympics for both events, the the cycling individual time trial and the the triathlon? Well, I don't know what you mean by ideal because I think like an ideal world would be that I'm at the Olympics for both and performing well in both. Um, but I don't want it to detract from my triathlon performance. And so it's also that kind of balance and understanding they're four days apart in Paris. So I don't know how that'll affect me physiologically, um, but like you just never know. So I think it's taking it one step at a time and not closing doors, like keeping options open and enjoying the different challenges. Because like I would tell you, like Knoxville was not a great race for me, but the amount I learned from that race was tremendous. 
So it's like, okay, how can this make me a better athlete? Big picture. Um, and that's something that I think that this race is already doing for me. Like the amount that I've learned in the past four weeks, I could, if I was, if I'd been racing Ponte Vedra or I'd just been like even ending my season, like I do not think I would have learned some of the things I've learned in the past four weeks. So it's just like, that's where, and then kind of as developing as an athlete, that's helpful for me at least. Can you take me inside that Taylor and talk to me about what some of the things you have learned in the previous four weeks are? Well, so I think the one thing that I've learned is just like, just more fueling, um, but also sodium intake. And so that's very, very helpful. But also because I've been doing some bigger sessions, I've really been like focusing on resting and recovering and actually recovering from sessions more so. I think I'm, I tend to be in sometimes the mindset of just like checking the box and getting as much training as possible in, but it's like, have I really recovered from this? Will I get anything out from this and making, I think, smarter decisions? So will it show up on October 14th? I don't know. Will it be any better? I don't know. But um, like I, I'm enjoying doing things a little bit differently and really learning from it. I think we're all obsessed with how hard you ride your bike and how fast you are. I think you're the best cyclist we've ever seen over middle distance triathlon, including Daniela Reef. And, you know, I, I rate Daniela Reef as highly as anyone. I think she's the greatest to ever do it. So that's, that sort of speaks volumes to how, how good you are on the bike. When it comes to your, um, like your 40 kilometer or like your um, cycling time trial power versus your middle distance, like your 80, 90 kilometer power, and then your planned 180 kilometer power how big a spread is there between those like how big a difference is there between the power you'll push for a cycling time trial versus the Ironman world championships and then the middle distance races in between well so I'd say like even so the middle distances are a great example um in terms of like if you looked at my Dallas power last year versus my 70.3 world's power last year there was a tremendous difference just because of the heat um so I think it even that varies and 70.3 70.3 worlds last year, the power file was a lot better than this year. So like, it's just, it's all different. Um, now I have no idea of what I'm actually going to be able to do 180 K. I mean, I have like my goal and my intention, but I don't know if I could be able to hold it and I don't know not, but, um, and then for Knoxville in terms of the, well, it wasn't a 40 K. It was a little bit less. Um, that powers a, a fair bit higher, but still like within range I guess so that's not really answering your question fully but I think it all varies and 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 also in terms of my fitness levels because Knoxville I was coming off of being sick and so I would say that I still wasn't fully where I wanted to be and where I needed to be when it comes to picking what tri suit to wear on race day there's literally only one option and that's win republic Win Republic have just launched their brand new collection, the World Champs 2023 collection, to celebrate the Men's Ironman World Championships in Nice and the Women's Ironman World Championships in Kona. It's a strictly limited release collection and uses Win Republic's latest technology in the Lukeo Plus Aero Tri-Suit. It's their best-selling, fastest tri-suit to date and will be used by the defending Ironman World Champion Kona this year, Chelsea Cesaro, for that exact reason. Head to Win Republic's website to check it out and use the discount code TTH15 for 15% off anything you buy. So without giving away specific numbers, because I know that is actually like pretty crucial information for you who's still racing, the difference in like your power at the 70.3 World Championships between 
and the power that you and your team are sort of discussing as like, well, in an ideal world, maybe we're, we're able to hold this for the Ironman World Championships. Without telling me the numbers, would you be able to tell me the difference between those two numbers? Well, that, well, that's the other thing. I actually, I don't really have a kind of a goal for my 70.3s. It's a lot more feel, I'd say. And then it's like, I have like minimums of what I don't want to fall below. But it's kind of like, if you ride more, you ride more. Um, but then for this race, I'm actually like, I think I'm going to have caps. So like, it's, it's a fair, it's a fair difference in watts. Um, but it's just also a different execution fully. Cause I can like spike it a bit more in the short course or in 70.3s. And when we were off air, we were sort of talking about your bike and the equipment you've chosen for your bike. And I want to have that conversation on, on air because I found it really interesting. So you sort of were telling me about how your ride at the PTO US Open wasn't anywhere near as good as your ride at the 70.3 World Championships and, and some things that maybe you got wrong at the US Open. Could you talk to me about that again, Taylor? Oh, yeah. So I had we had tried to put on a 54 front crank or a 54-41. I ride tram. And so, um, but just my rhythm was a little off. So we put back the 52-39. That's what I'll have on race day. And and the thing is, is that like, thanks to, I worked with Neil Henderson for a little over three years and he really helped work on my like higher end cadence. So like we did a lot of like high cadence spin-ups to like max cadence. And so like being comfortable at riding at hundred, 110 RPMs, like I worked a lot with him on that. So I think in terms of the rhythm's really important and then I can just increase the cadence if I need to, hopefully. Um, but then also the front wheel, we tried a 75 millimeter depth and we went back to a 62 and then I made another change what was I oh the um it was just like a change with the front arrow bar um shifters that we went back to the original ones but I think it's just because my I got a new bike and so they were all differences that I hadn't really trained with that much um but when I like if I have time with something I can get used to it so I just didn't have the amount of time because unfortunately like once you have time with another setup or at least this is me once I have time with one setup like I just like I can like I can notice if my seat post is a little off I can I just notice if it's like off I'm like something's wrong something's not right but that's that's just me I'm a little picky and so are you going to go with the exact same bike setup that you had for the 70.3 worlds at the Ironman world championships this weekend well absolutely not because we cannot ride a disc wheel so um and I was riding a disc wheel there um, so no, will not be the same setup, but ideally everything else will be the same. Just maybe some, um, I think I'll have extra bottle cages on. A question I've been wanting to ask you. So, um, you're coached by Ian O'Brien and I don't think Ian O'Brien's ever really had a high level, um, athlete go to the Ironman world championships or at least go there to try and win. Um, how have you guys found training for that race, given that this is sort of the first foray for both of you into it? Well, I have a fantastic team with a lot of people who do have um, some experience, but it's also like there's both the experience with the athlete and the experience with the distance. And so an experience like kind of trying something new and doing something different. Um, so I've really been leaning into um, Aaron's been helping me a lot and Lawrence has been helping me a lot with a lot of things that we've been doing. And so it's just it's, it's different, but um, they know me well as an athlete, so I really appreciate all their help. And so, so um, can you sort of explain that team to everyone who do- doesn't know? So, like, who helps you with what? Well, 
it's 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 kind of um right now we're going through some changes so i think that it it's all kind of changing in the moment um but i have a fantastic team around me who i'm very grateful for all their support all right are they big changes potentially um yes like like head coach (laughs) head coach type changes yes so wow I've sort of accidentally stumbled across something here. So, so uh, t- tell me if I'm intruding too much um, and you don't want to talk about it, but are you no longer working with Ian? Like, have you changed head coaches? Yes, Ian and I are no longer working together um, and I haven't started working with a new head coach yet. Wow, this is actually pretty big. Um, have, you, have you been talking to anyone? Well, um. It's just, it's, I'm just focusing on getting through this race first and then focusing on getting through the rest of my season and then making decisions from there. Wow. Okay. That's sort of exciting in a way. Like, um, again, I, I, please tell me if I'm intruding, but was there a reason why, like, is there any reason why you've decided to make the change? Well, there, there are always reasons. I don't make changes without reasons. Um, but it, like, there were just... It, I, yeah, there, so there are reasons, but, um, I'm just, I'm excited for the future and I'm excited to have a little bit different structure and just a little bit more, I think, ownership and flexibility with hopefully not having like, just like being on my own schedule. Okay. So leading into the Ironman world championships, you've, you've sort of, you're, you're leaving your longtime coach. Are you, how is like the routine in your training? Who's making the decisions behind what you're doing? Is it collaborative with sort of your, your team where you're like all doing a little bit and you're having more of a say in it right now before you make a decision on, on who coaches you, or are you trialing a coach on the side and you're just not ready to sort of commit to saying who it is in public yet? Oh no, it's, it's more that we're just, and that's why like Aaron and Lawrence have really stepped up and I'm making a lot more decisions, but we also, it's like a lot of not checks and balances, but just like in agreement with things and it's just getting to the race healthy and ready to race and doing the key sessions and then recovering. I know this is uh this will be a little bit weird for you to hear, but I don't know if there's ever been like in a lot of other sports, there's like free agency and stuff where as soon as someone becomes available, every team wants them. I think right now in triathlon, every single triathlon coach in the world would want to have you in their stable. Like Dan Larang, Dan Plews, Olaf Alexander Boo, they should all be, you know, messaging you right now and 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 like sort of starting a bidding war for your services because like you're probably, in my opinion, the best triathlete on the planet. You don't have a coach. What an opportunity for someone. Well, I think that's also it, it it's an opportunity, but also it would probably be tough depending on who else each coach is working with. Um, but also if I if you're working if you take over an athlete who has raced well recently, um, then if they continue to race well underneath you, it's like, okay, like it's just kind of like good enough. But then if they don't race well, it's kind of all fingers pointed at the coach. So it's, I guess there's also a level of pressure that would be associated with it, probably. Um, like I'm, I know that there's probably going to be some pressure associated with me in terms of making that change, but I know what, like, I want to be successful next summer and I want to like, and so I'm trying to make the changes that will help me with that. 
Yeah, that's actually a really good point and something I hadn't thought of. There would be a lot of pressure on them. And once again, 25-year-old Taylor Nib showing the wisdom of a 35 to 40-year-old. Um, that's not a surprise. That's sort of just how you are. Is there is there sort of a checklist in your mind of, okay, if I'm going to commit to a new coach, what do they have to bring to the table? Oh, well, definitely. Um, there's definitely like a lot of different requirements or not requirements, but just like things I'm looking for. And the, like, unfortunately, like you just, you never know until you're in a relationship, um, what it actually looks like, because everyone's going to probably put their best foot forward. Isn't there like a saying that like the, an employer's or employee's like first day is their best day. And so you just, you don't know what'll happen. So you never know. Do you know what those traits or qualities are that you are looking for, though? Yes. Um, and I also know it's kind of tougher because I am I would be looking for a coach who would be able to coach a long course athlete, a short course athlete, and potentially a cyclist. So it's just a number of – those are a lot of requirements. Yeah. There's only one that really ticks those boxes right now, though, isn't there? Like Dan Larang is the obvious choice then. He is the head coach of a professional cycling team. He's coached some of the world's best short and long course triathletes, men and women. He currently coaches, you know, Lucy Charles Barclay, Arnie Haug. It's, it seems like he might be the, the obvious answer. Well, but there's also, you know, Florida Duffy's coach, Nate Wilson, and he coaches Jason West. And he also coaches, he comes from a cycling background. He coaches um, Kasha Niwadoma from um, Canyon Tram. So he has, He's another one who ticks those boxes and there are probably others that I'm not even thinking of. I think there's a Dutch coach too. Um, but so yes, there are a lot of who I think worked with Rachel Klammer and um, Richard Murray for a period of time. So yes, there's, there are tremendous coaches, but also like, there's also like, does a coach want to learn and grow and who else are they coaching and what time do they have? And it just, it, there are a lot of moving pieces. Yeah, Nate. Nate's a great point. I think Nate might be the most underrated coach on the planet. He's like, he works wonders. That guy. Yeah, you're right. A lot of good options. That's going to be an exciting little story to follow for the rest of the year. And yeah, good luck with the decision. Um, that's that's massive, massive change for you. But hope it all works out well. Does it? Does it lead you with? Does it? Does it lead to you having sort of any doubt going into Kona that you don't have that stability that maybe you've had, or do you feel in a great place? I'm just really grateful to be here and to have this opportunity. Um, I think in terms of like a, a, when I worked with Neil Henderson, he said like his, his job was to make him a bit, his job was to make himself superfluous. Um, and so like, I've been fortunate enough to work with tremendous coaches that like, I don't think they've made themselves superfluous, um, but they definitely taught me a ton and I've learned a ton from them. So I'm just, really excited and grateful to be here. And so shifting back to the specifics of Kona a little bit with your running, we all know that you're going to be there in the swim. You're going to be there in the bike. Even if you won't say it, that's, that's just a fact. You're going to be there. Well, hopefully you never know anything can happen in a race. I know you're so modest. We've talked about this all the time. You are the most modest person I've ever met, but I'm going to say it for you. Um, with the run, I guess that's the big unknown. Like it's a marathon. It's a marathon off 180 K bike potentially in the heat of Kona. There's so many unknowns there for sure. What have you actually done with your training and your preparation for this race when it comes to trying your best to be ready for that marathon? 
Well, so I think that's where, for the first time ever, I've kind of heard like, okay, in like decisions you make in the swim or in early on in the bike, or even later on in the bike can influence that run. And that's not necessarily things I think about in short course or middle distance racing. And so like recognizing that, yes, there's the run, but also like the impact the other two might have on it. Um, I've also, I've always raced in the next percent and now I'm trying the alpha flies. I've done like I got a pair to test out. So I've changed that. Um, and then my nutrition strategy. And so, you know, Erin Carson, she works with Tim O'Donnell and Miranda Carfrey. And so I was able to really ask them for a lot of advice and they know this island very, very well and this race very, very well. So I've been really fortunate to have people who are willing to give me a lot of advice um, just from their experience. That shift to the Alpha Fly is interesting. Um, is it that's locked in? You will be racing in the Alpha Fly at Kona? Yes, I didn't bring any next percents here. <laughs> that would let you a lot of like <laughs> shift me over. Um, but those those are the shoes that are that, like, that's kind of what they're, yeah, I guess that's what they're meant for. Yeah. So. And so what what's the longest run that you've done leading into Kona being? 18.92 miles. Or can you convert that to kilometers for me? I think it was like 30.47K or something like that. Okay. Um, But it was more just like, like I, I did the work I needed to do and it just ended up being that far. And it was like, you know what? Like, do we round it up? Do we not? And Aaron and Lawrence were there and they're like, that is good enough. Like, get off your feet. You're good. Like, <laughs> Is there much talk around the island? Because I know you're there now. Is there much talk about the conditions? Like are people expecting it to be a hot um, race, a hard race, or are the conditions pretty nice over there? I have no idea. That is not my area of expertise, but I've been able to ride um, three days and it's been very different conditions each day. So I also think we're we're 12 days out. So how accurate are the weather predictions even? I don't know, but that's just, I think knowing from Boulder, it's like you kind of have to look the morning of to know the weather. So I guess we'll probably know the day of. And have you done any specific like heat prep or anything like that? Like you do perform pretty well in the heat really. Um, so maybe you haven't had to do anything specific, but have you gone, okay, I'm going to be racing for eight hours, eight and a half hours out in the, the potentially like a really hot day in Kona. So I should do extra heat work, sauna work, anything like that. Well, I've done a little bit. I did a little bit while I was in Boulder, but then that's also why I got to Kona in advance. Um, but I think the balance for me is like with, like there've been so many also changes to begin with and like just not frying yourself. So that's also like the aim is to get to the race day, ready to race and be the best you can. So it's been like, it's, it's always a balance. And I think leading into Tokyo, I fried myself a bit too much because it was like all focus on the heat. And then that day was not a hot day at all. Um, so it's just, it's also being smart and learning from that. And it's going more of kind of the prep route I went, free Abu Dhabi last year, which was a lot more conservative, but it was a lot more appropriate. And so with the Kona course, have you had much of a chance to get out on the bike course and ride it and swim in the, in the ocean and, and run on the run course yet? Well, yes, I've mostly just ridden on the bike course because I'm staying um, kind of further out away from town this week, and then I'll move in closer to town next week. But since I'm still away from town, I haven't swum the swim course or run on the run course yet, but that'll be a, that'll be a next week adventure. How do you think the bike course suits you from what you've ridden so far? Well, I think the bike course is just 
heavily dependent on the weather conditions in a lot of ways. Um, so I guess it depends on what happens on the race day. Like it is not a flat course, which is awesome. And it's very, yeah, it's, it's just, it's really cool. And are you putting any pressure at all on yourself in this race? Are you going there with the mindset of, I'm just happy to be there. I just want to experience and see what it's like. Or are you going there secretly thinking, I really want to win this race? No, it's very much because I just, there's so many unknowns. And I think even if someone's very, so, and, and this might be completely wrong, but like, I think we, you, you look at the history of this race and someone can walk into it and be fully confident about it. And you just, <laughs> the, the island has other plans. Um, so you just, you never know. And so that's why, like, I'm just grateful to be here. I'm excited to see kind of what happens. And I also think in terms of, like, you, you look at the, the Olympics in the sport, and there's a lot of pressure and focus on that. And then, but besides from the Olympics, there's, like, Kona is probably the closest second in terms of, like, the attention of the industry and just all of triathlon in terms of eyes. So in terms of, like, gaining experience for next summer like what better opportunity than um a little bit of a pressure cooker environment and so that's that's mostly external for me and before we wrap up taylor um did you watch the men's ironman world championships in nice well i watched parts of it but it it was kind of like i I don't want to sound like complaining but because i understand that the europeans have this same issue. I mean, I was in Italy last year when Kona was occurring, but it was just, it was, it was hard to watch it all because of the time difference. So no, I I watched parts of it and then I watched the reruns, but um, I didn't watch it live. Did you see the course and the bike course in particular and think I would really like to go and race that course? Well, yes, but um, I think a lot of that for a lot of things and you can, you can only pick and choose. I mean, you have to have priorities in life and you don't want to be like, you don't want to spread yourself too thin. Um, but yes, it looks like a tremendous course. Um, and so I'm excited that the women get to race there next year. And you talked about before that, like, there's a chance the Ironman World Championships never go back to Kona. Like, that is a that is a chance. That could happen. So you're sort of using this year as like a, well, in case that does happen, I want to go there and make sure I experience it. Can I just get your thoughts overall on a couple of things? like? Do you like the men's and women's races being at different locations a month apart? Oh, well, I, I, I don't, I, I never, so I never experienced kind of the same, like the races together. But I think in terms of like, I don't think the island can go back to two days, like men in one day, women on the other. Do the women want to be racing the same day as the men? Um, and so then it's kind of like, so then it doesn't seem like that would be feasible to have it in Hawaii for much longer. Um, so you just don't know, but it's kind of, you want a fair race regardless. Um, but this is, this is a very special place for the sport and for this race. And so like, I don't, I just, I don't know what the options are. Would you personally prefer it if say, for example, the Ironman world championships got rotated throughout the year, like one year they were somewhere in America, the next year they were in Kona, the next year they were in Australia, the next year they were in Europe and say the men raced on the Thursday and the women raced on the Saturday or the men on the Saturday, the women on the Sunday, so that both both um, sexes got their, their separate day to race, particularly for the professionals. I think that's important. Or would you prefer it to have it 
rotating, coming to Kona one year for the men, the next year for the women, and the the, the other race be in a different location? I'm not sure. Like, I don't think, like, I, I think let's go back for like two or three years and we were just been grateful for an Ironman World Championship to occur. So I think that the fact that like people are getting picky now, it's just kind of like whatever the race is, like I'm grateful for it occurring. Um, the fact that it's in Kona is very special based on the history, but if it's too much stress on the island, I mean, we have to be, this is, this is a lot of people's home and it's not a very quiet or necessarily always respectful group of people. And so you have to understand that like, you just, you don't want to, you don't want to, you don't want to put too much on people and have too much of an ask for them. I agree. And it's like always, I've already said it once in this podcast, but wisdom sort of is your thing. And, and that's a very wise um, mindset and, and approach to it. And, and I agree with you for what it's worth. Um, to wrap up now, Taylor, a lot of people still don't necessarily believe you're going to be there on the start list. A lot of people are still sort of going like, oh, well, we'll see if she's actually racing. You can confirm you are 100% racing. Unless you crash your bike or get sick, you will be on that start line. Well, yes, and but those are big stipulations. I think it's like we've you've seen a lot of people, unfortunately, like have bike incidents or get sick pre Kona, I mean, I was I was here in 2010 watching my mom, and I was near the swim start when they made the announcement that Christy Wellington will not be starting the race. And you just you have to be grateful when you're healthy and fit and lining up, and recognize that there are a lot of people coming from a lot of different places, and a lot can happen. So you just you never know. Amazing, Taylor. We'll wrap it up there. It was such an honor to get to talk to you before the race. I know you're doing almost no media before the race. So thank you for, for picking the podcast to, to come and do really your one and only podcast leading into the race. Um, good luck for starters. And I want to thank you because you're doing something that not a lot of people dare to do. And that is you're, you're going to try and win the Olympics. You're going to try and win the Olympic time trial. You're, you've already won the 70.3 World Championships. You've been racing PTO Opens and winning them. And now you're stepping up and you're racing the Ironman World Championships. And you're making the sport fun to follow. You really are. And, and I thank you for that. And good luck on, on the weekend. Well, thank you. I, I really appreciate you having me on the podcast. And good luck with your race week series. <laughs> I appreciate it, Taylor. Stay healthy. Do not crash on the bike. <laughs> Hopefully not on one. <laughs> If you haven't been to the Feeds website yet, it's time you went and checked it out. It's your one-stop shop for all things triathlon nutrition. The Feed basically have all of the world's best training and race day nutrition products in one place, so you don't have to do multiple orders from multiple websites and pay shipping on all of them. Or you don't have to go to the effort of driving around to different shops to get different products. You can just head to the Feeds website and it's all there in one place for you. So like I said, if you haven't gone and checked it out, you should go and do that right now. You'll see for yourself how easy it makes buying all of your training and racing nutrition. It's also a really good way to look at nutritional products you never knew existed and try them out by chucking them on top of your order and seeing if they might work for you. Thefeed.com. It really is your number one resource for all things triathlon nutrition. 